Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Second Chance Podcast. I'm Raphael Rowe, your host. This podcast series explores the theme of second chance. We raise questions about who deserves a second chance, who decides who gets a second chance and what a second chance actually means. We speak to people from all walks of life about their experiences, including those who have been given a second chance and some who you might believe are beyond deserving a second chance. In this episode... My guest is Chrissy Chambers, who was just 18 years old when her ex-boyfriend induced her with drink before secretly filming them having sex. In revenge for Chrissy ending their relationship, he posted the videos on at least 30 porn sites without Chrissy knowing anything about it. Revenge porn was not illegal or even recognised as an offence at the time, but Chrissy challenged this anomaly, and now the YouTube celebrity, as she's become known, won unprecedented damages against the man who uploaded what became universally known as revenge pornography. It was the first civil case of its kind to be brought in England and Wales when Chrissy sued her former partner for harassment, breach of confidence and misuse of private information after learning that the Crown Prosecution Service would not bring criminal charges against him. Chrissy, who is American, is one of the most popular lesbian content creators on YouTube, along with her now fiancé, Bria Cam. The channels they run together have a million subscribers and their comedy sketches, songs and vlogs have been viewed hundreds of millions of times. There's lots to talk about and lots of things I want to talk to you about. But um, and, and I'm discovering this as I as I start to look at your story. But I want to start with your YouTube channel because you and your wife Bria have a YouTube channel. Now, when I read it, it, it said 
um, a lesbian YouTube channel. Is that the right way to describe it, or how would you describe this YouTube channel that is quite sensational? I would describe it as just that. You know, we are Bri and Chrissy, the singing lesbian duo. And what does your YouTube, for anybody who hasn't seen your YouTube channel, who are going to be listening to this and quickly putting in Bria and Chrissy's YouTube channel, what, what, what can they expect to find on your channel? Oh, my gosh. Well, they can expect to find a variety of songs, silly uh, skit videos, or talking videos, sometimes more serious, all that are trying to achieve the common goal of encouraging self-acceptance, self-love, and embracing who you are. So for us, you know, being LGBT and just unapologetically being ourselves. And how did it come about? How did a channel like this come about? Was it your idea or your wife's? Well, I was, I wanted to be an actor and that's what I was pursuing when Bria and I met. She was a singer who had done a little acting. I was an actor who wanted to do a little singing and our first couple videos were basically for our moms, you know, as a joke, uh, just making some silly, kind of more political sketches. Bria's brother helped inspire it. He was like, you two are so funny. You should, you should make videos. And we were like, well, nobody's going to see them. And we made, I think, our, our second video uh, started to sort of go semi-viral. Is when Dan Cathy came out as homophobic, you know, with Chick-fil-A. And Bria was like we need to do something. So we went and protested at our local Chick-fil-A. And then she said it wasn't enough. And she went and wrote a song that where we sing about that we're going to miss Chick-fil-A, but we can't support anything that's going to be homophobic. And it got tens of thousands of views kind of overnight and some interviews. And that just sort of started us off with sort of realizing, you know, the LGBT community needed something like this and they kind of quickly claimed us and we just started making content around that and it just started growing. And how long has it been going now? Oh my gosh, in August it'll be um, 10 years. 10 years? Yeah. And do you think you've retained the same audience that first came to the channel or do you think the audience has grown and diversified because more people are more aware of the LGBT community and the issues around you know, acceptance and all the kind of things that comes with, with that. Do you think that more people and different people have come to your channel despite the fact that I suppose you appeal to a particular audience or don't you? Yes, I would say it's been interesting. You know, our audience, it, still we have plenty of, of young people, but when we first started out, our majority audience was like 13 to 18-year-old girls. And that's such a pivotal time. Say the content Bri and I are making is almost for our 13 to 18-year-old selves because we didn't have, you know, I grew up in Mississippi where I didn't know any gay people and it was certainly wrong to be gay. She grew up very progressive in Atlanta in a small private school where it was totally okay to be who you are. And um, still though, we didn't have those role models. So I would say... We still have a subset of our audience that is in that age range, but most of them are that original young audience. They've just grown up with us over these last 10 years. So probably in their 20s, mid 20s. Uh, and of course, we have you know men who watch us, uh, gay, straight, people who are not men or women who watch us. But I would say that's that true audience that we've always had is is young women, you know, trying to find 
themselves and self-acceptance. And and it's been a phenomenal excess, but your name, Chrissy Chambers, here in the United Kingdom, came to prominence because of this revenge porn lawsuit that you brought about. Um, now, from what I've read, it goes like this. Now, you can correct me as I fire away, but it kind of goes like this. As a young woman, you met a British guy, started a relationship. It didn't go according to plan, as things don't. And he secretly recorded having sex and uploaded that content when your relationship broke down a few years ago. That's kind of me summarising what, I read happened and then as a result there were laws in the United Kingdom when this happened or originally started that didn't protect you and wouldn't have protected anybody else but later on the law changed and that still didn't protect you so you took a civil case against this individual a landmark civil case that led to a an important victory that's kind of where I've got to your story but let me roll back to the beginning for you to explain if I've got anything wrong. What happened, Chrissy? Because it's such an important landmark case. I want to hear from you what happened. Yeah. Um, I mean, you did a you did a, a great summary. Um, so I, as I said earlier, you know, wanted to be dreamt of being an actor and was always fascinated with accents, always fascinated with the British world, you know, tea, all of these different basic things when I was a teenager. And of course, my family couldn't really afford to send me somewhere to the UK to go to school, but I, they did let me dream about it. And so I remember when I was probably 16, you know, getting on a bunch of different message boards of different universities I was looking at. And um, I started reaching out to students there just to say, you know, hello, I'm looking, I'm looking at this school to come to someday. How is it? You know, do you, are you enjoying it there? And my ex was one of the people that responded actually when I was, I think, 16 or 17. And we just had a cordial exchange. You know, it's like, I like this about it. I like that. And that was that. Fast forward, I guess, two years or so. I graduated high school early. Um, to go pursue acting in Atlanta, Georgia. And I just turned 18 about two weeks prior. And I get a message out of the blue from this guy who I'd talked to years before, just checking in, seeing how things were, asking how I was. And I was delighted to hear from him. I looked at him, he was handsome. And so we started messaging back and forth. And pretty quickly, it's like a little flirtier and asked if he could call me he called me on the phone and um, kind of thus began this relationship I had with my, at the time, Prince Charming. And I didn't really put it all together at the time, but that when I had reached out at, like when he had responded to me at 16, when I was 16, he was like 22 or 23. And then when I was 18 and he reached out in a more romantic way, he was 24 going on 25. So it's like, that's a pretty big gap when you're very innocent, naive like myself and somebody who has had relationships and done all sorts of jobs, that kind of thing. So we started talking, started dating without having met. And 
I guess about four or five months later, I got my bags and uh, went to to England for the first time and to meet him for the first time. And it was a really beautiful week. Everything was fine. It was great. I lost my virginity to him. You know, like I trusted this person so much. It, it was such a representation of kind of losing my innocence, I guess you could say. But everything was fine in the beginning. And then about six, seven months into the relationship, that trip was fine. He started to become more jealous, you know, as I was pursuing my acting, he would get kind of controlling about, oh, you have to audition as if you're someone's girlfriend. Like, I don't want you to do that. I'm like, it is just acting. And he even hacked my email account, accused me of flirting with somebody whose music video is going to be in. I was just like, I was kind of overwhelmed, but didn't really know any better. Didn't think he had any ill intention. I just thought, well, he's got these trust issues you know, I'm sorry. I try to make him feel better. And then I guess about eight months into the relationship, he had come to the US to visit once uh, after my visit to the UK. And then he just, we decided he was going to just move in with me. And um, he moved into my studio apartment in Atlanta and was there for about a month. It was okay for a couple of weeks. You know, it's like, just that new relationship energy, a honeymoon type phase, but still he was kind of getting controlling and he was pretty emotional and um, which is fine to be emotional, but like kind of emotionally volatile, I guess you could say with his insecurities. And it lasted about a month. And I'm a very non-confrontational passive kind of about confrontation person. And I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to upset people, but about a month in, I was like, I can't do this. Like, this is going to derail all my dreams. I am working so hard to pursue this. And this is just going to make me throw it all away. And so I asked him, I said, you know, maybe, maybe you should go back to England. Maybe just work on yourself for a couple of months. I'll stay here, work on myself you know, and maybe next year we'll get back together. We'll see, we'll see where we're at, you know, let's take a break. And he took that uh, very hard. He had a really hard time with that. And obviously it took a couple of days to get a ticket back to the UK to go home, but he was really upset and suggested we have like one last night of drinking or one last night of like celebration And I didn't grow up drinking. My parents don't drink. I didn't have any experience in high school with that. Um, And so once he had moved in, he had bought alcohol a few times. And I'd like had never been drunk, but like had a drink here or there. And so he went out and got a bunch of alcohol. And I thought to myself, well, you know, I'm not a drinker. I would think I'll do an experiment. If I ever get a role where I need to be drunk, I'll know what it looks like. So I set up a little camera on the shelf and uh, I didn't pay attention to how much he had bought or not, but I figured I'll take a sip and then I'll say how I'm feeling. I'll have a drink. I'll say how I'm feeling. I'll read a quote. And I am so glad I did this. This is what saved our case. But uh, we start drinking and he would read a quote too. And the whole time you just see him progressively stay a lot more sober than I do. So I think the footage, I have seven, eight, nine drinks and I am blacked out, intoxicated. You know, I'm falling out of the chair. 
uh, on my way to being unconscious. And he's just sitting there pretty stoic um, and able to talk. And then my camera cuts off. He knew, like, I didn't even send risque photos, you know, sexy selfies. Like, I was very modest. So he knew all of those parameters that certainly, like, intimacy on camera would be something I would never um, be okay with. And uh, unbeknownst to me, I pass out on the bed, and he pulled out his own camera, and that is when he proceeded to film seven videos of him having sex with me while I was blacked out, intoxicated on the bed. So comments on the videos ended up being like, it looks like you're fucking a corpse. She looks dead. Look at that, like, look at that dead body type of stuff. And of course, I didn't know any of this. Like he, we go to bed in my mind, wake up the next day, and he's going to go back to England. He goes back to England, has a very hard time. Uh, He even came back a month later, just showed up at my door knocking to beg me to take him back from England. And I was like, you have to go back. Like, I I can't do this right now. And um, he went back. It was like, I ruined his life type of thing. Went through a very hard time. About five months after he went back, I started getting harassment from his uh, family and his sister saying she wished I would kill myself and just go ahead and die and ruining everything for them. And I was 19, you know, I, this was my first love. I would never have had any ill intention, but I tried to go on with my life and fast forward about two years. I realized I'm interested in women and I spent about six months, you know, trying to meet a great girl. And then I met Bria and go to 2012. We start our YouTube channel, just this beautiful, wonderful relationship. And she knew I'd had a very hard time with my ex. And so she very early on was supporting me through that. But eventually- Did you have to report him? I mean, given the level of harassment that not only he, but his family were directing at, at you at such a young age, did you feel at this point or did you at this point feel the need or did you report him and his behavior? Or was it just that kind of situation where somebody wants something you didn't and the relationship just went sour, but it wasn't so bad that you felt threatened at any point? Because it sounds to me to have had sex with you when you were stone drunk, you know, cross boundaries at that point. Yeah. Well, at that point, I didn't know he had done that. I didn't find out that he had even had sex with me until I saw the videos. So I'd never had sex drunk, I anything like that. And I didn't know that he had done any of that. He didn't tell me. The way I found out was Googling myself and seeing the title, you know, like Chrissy Chambers 18 gets fucked, fucking my ex Chrissy Chambers. And that was how I discovered what had happened to me years later, four years later. So um, it was like a death punch. I would say the harassment I endured from his family did. If I had lived in the UK, I would have certainly gone right to the police. And I did end up going to the police, I don't think, right away in that state of mind that I was in. But I ended up going and they basically said, unless they are here, unless she is here with a weapon threatening you bodily harm, or unless she hurts you, like we can't do anything. 
just threats on online or on the phone, which was really disheartening. But Bria and I, you know, I have this life. I had this ex who had had a hard time, but that's all I really know. We move forward. We have our YouTube channel. It's starting to pick up. We had about 50,000 subscribers and we were only eight months into our YouTube channel and we were in Vegas and our a friend of ours who we'd done some music with writes me and she's like, hey, Chrissy, uh, I just wanted you to hear this from me, from somebody who cares about you before you find out about it online. But there's somebody that's saying, you know, check out these porn videos of you, these sex tapes. And I just clicked not even believing it and actually looks like you. So I just want to let you know, I'm really sorry. I'm here for you. And I just sit down, you know, on the floor and right where I was in some casino in Vegas. And I Google Christy Chambers sex tape and all these links show up and I would, I just collapsed, you know, it was like getting hit in the stomach with a bat and Brio was playing poker in another room. And I kind of stumbled to the doorway and just gave her this look of devastation. And she said, she thought my whole family had just died in a crash. And I, she got over to me and I said, he finally got me. Like they had said they wanted to ruin my life. You know, they finally got me. And um, I showed her and we just started freaking out completely, you know, but also immediately trying to take action, calling these reputation changer websites. They tried to extort us out of like thousands of dollars and nobody would take the video down. And actually at the beginning, you know, it was only the one video. And I think within a couple of weeks, we went right to the police and the police saw the video and they said something like they opened an investigation and started trying to push it off to the UK police. The UK police said, well, the incident happened in the US. It's a US jurisdiction. And in that span of a couple of weeks, I remember being out at an amusement park with my sister one day, just trying to feel a little better. And um, Bria calls me and she's like, I need you to sit down. I just did some deep digging and I found five more videos. So that went from one to six. And I, I can't even describe the devastation. It was just like your whole world is crashing down around you. And on our YouTube channel, all these comments are coming up saying, you know, oh, you look up to Chrissy Chambers. You think she's a role model? She's actually a whore and a slut. Check out these porn videos of her. And so then the police in Atlanta, which this is 2013 in the deep South, they said, well, you shouldn't have drank all that alcohol. Maybe because you were drinking, who knows, maybe it will be too hard to argue that you couldn't consent. Like we're not going to, we don't want to press any charges. It'll be too hard of a case. So at this point, when you had approached the Atlanta police, you were, I mean, obviously complaining about the fact that he'd uploaded these videos, but now you discovered that he had sex with you whilst you were unconscious. I tried to pursue both, all charges, the uploads, which ended up being a UK problem, and the non-consensual sex, which was the Atlanta thing that they said, basically, you shouldn't have drank we will have too much difficulty in prosecuting this. Meanwhile, they see the comments say she looks like a corpse. You know, I, I'm just like, I know we've come along further, but you can't consent if you're blacked out. It's just, 
infuriating. And so it quickly became a thing of, and when I went to the Atlanta police, they had me sit in a cold, you know, sterile interrogation room with a male detective watching the videos, like asking me moment by moment questions about it. It was just so degrading. And um, so then we set our sights on the UK police. But of course, nobody even knows what this is, non-consensual filming. Like that's that's not even a law. And I am just spiraling. I've completely spiraled at this point. Very non-functional, can hardly get out of bed, can't look at myself in the mirror, can't change in front of Bria, um, no intimacy, anything like that. And just despondent, I would say. And so Bria took it upon herself, my hero, to start calling lawyers in the United States who maybe could take this case, like explaining there's these videos, this this is non-consensual, the videos are non-consensual, the act is non-consensual, can you help us? And they're like, well, there's, I don't even know what to call that. You know, I'm sorry, I can't help you. And she called dozens, probably a total of a hundred lawyers. And eventually somebody recommended we call Rain the rape crisis line. And she calls and somebody picks up and they say, well, you know, there is a woman, a U.S. attorney in the U.K., Anne Oliverius, who is going to be way too busy to help you, way too busy to take your call. But she may know somebody who could help. And um, they gave us her information. We call and I forget who picked up, I think it was Georgina who ended up being my barrister. And we relay the story. And this is Bria speaking as me, you know, hi, I'm Chrissy. This video was taken of me. So I couldn't even put sentences together. And um, Georgina takes the information. She's like, I want to take this back, run it by Anne. They called us a couple days later and said, Anne wants to take your case, but she, um, needs to see the whites of your eyes before she decides to move forward. Make Can you make it to New York? And so we hurriedly booked a flight, got to New York, met Anne, and she. we spent about three hours with her telling her everything. And she said, I see myself in you. I want to help you, but this is going to be hard. This is going to be a long fight. It could take a year. It could take two years. Of course, it ended up taking five, but... I really think that we could win this, you know, but it's going to take a lot. And so there's not even a law about this, which we now know as is called revenge porn. She's like, I have to get a law passed. And we just thought you're, you know, our savior, you know, anything you feel is the right idea. We're going to go with, we trust you, put all our faith in her. And thus began our legal battle that took so many years. You know, we, we worked on the case from August 2013 until March of 2015 when I spoke uh, the day that the revenge porn law passed in the UK. And I was there for the unveiling, basically. And it was just all this inspiration and hope. And we, I spoke to members of parliament and tech companies. And then we marched down to the police station to go get our victory with a binder about this big of evidence. And I spent three hours in there with another male detective who was very kind and empathetic. He had three daughters and he even teared up. But um, he said very sadly at the end of, of all of this, he said, I am 
so sorry. I believe you, you know, of course you deserve justice, but the statute of limitations for this law is uh, six months. And by this point, the videos have been taken of me almost seven years, six years ago. And so that was crushing. And actually we got that reaction, I think on video with the guardian, the piece, the guardian did of me coming out of the station and telling Bria, like, no, we're, they can't help us again. And I so saw that, that is, video. That, you did? That was, that, yeah, I did. That was I read The Guardian. And I saw that video where you almost documented your journey into the courts and into the police station where you were hoping to pursue a criminal case against this, this individual. Let me just go back to the point where you mentioned revenge porn. So up until what happened to you, there was no terminology. Revenge porn came about through Chrissy Chambers. I mean, I'm sure people were talking about it, but there was no legal president or case pursued. There was, um, it was actually coined in, I think, 2009. Uh, I don't want to get the name wrong, but by a, a victim who I think spoke about it on a CNN piece. And it didn't get traction. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a widely known thing. And it's still something people are still learning about. So no, I did not coin, coin the term or, but maybe it started to help, help get it traction. Uh, certainly every case, so few victims speak publicly about it. So every time someone does, you know, that just helps get a bit more recognition. And then now, you know, it's not exactly an accurate term, revenge porn, makes it seem as though somebody deserves uh, revenge and then that it's porn, which if it's non-consensual, um, you know, that's, that's not porn. So non-consensual image sharing, there's all these other terms, but revenge porn still has that kind of buzzword thing that grabs you and makes you think, well, gosh, that sounds terrible. Like I to learn or to be educated about it, but yeah, nobody, nobody was familiar with the term in a widespread basis. How how did you, because when, when you first found out, you, you described quite eloquently when you were in the casino with Bria and you discovered for the very first time that this ex had secretly recorded you, he'd uploaded um, videos of him having sex with you that you hadn't consented to. It was crushing and you described how painful that was. How were you able to function and I know you said at the beginning it was very difficult but for a number of years these videos existed it damaged your reputation it damaged your work and the work you and Bria were building on your YouTube channel which can be financially rewarding for people who have that influence I mean how did you manage yourself Chrissy throughout these years knowing that people were still accessing nothing had happened to the individual who had done this to you despite the fact you were trying to pursue some legal action against him I would say my instinct is to say I didn't you know I relied on alcohol and cannabis and escaping um there was a dead set determination to fight to my death if I needed to to stand up against this. You know, I don't know where that sense of of justice seeking strength came from, but even if it was to my demise, I was not going to go down without a huge fight. And I would say 
I functioned at a very bare minimum level, you know, almost like autopilot, which is all indicative of PTSD. And Bria kept us afloat. You know, she helped run our YouTube channel. It was like I was just sort of appearing in the things, you know, but my, but I wasn't really there. And yet I, I still just didn't want to give up fighting. There were so many times when Bria, I remember the week after we found out about the videos on our way back from Vegas, from the airport, you know, she, we just, she kind of just screamed in the car, freaking out about this. And, um, I said to her, I know that we can't imagine this right now, but I hope that someday I can share this story and it will help some people. I didn't forget that, you know, even when it was almost killing me. So we just kept fighting. And that's why when I came out during the Guardian piece and was rejected in, in defeat, you know, it was a 180 quick turnaround pivot to go back to Anne and say, okay, what do we do now? Like, we can't give up. Let's keep fighting. This would have been you pursuing the legal case, an awkward one, but I, I, I can't imagine what it was like for you, the emotional and psychological challenges. But as you were talking, as you were, you know, voicing your anger and trying to seek some sort of justice, the more you did that, the more people that didn't know became aware and therefore they were probably, like I did when I first learned of your name, you automatically go to see what these videos are about. Not to see the sexual content of it, but, you know, how bad is it? I mean, what, what happened here? I mean, I admittedly didn't look at the porn stuff, but I did, you know, put Chrissy Chambers in. But you lived this, Chrissy. I mean, you were talking to people about seeking justice. And every time you did that to a new audience, some of them... And some of those more voyeuristic type people would go to the website and you were exposing yourself, your intimacies, your body and everything about you that you were so angry about. I'm trying to understand how you were able to balance that, knowing that when you stood and said, this is what's happened to me, those who didn't know would then be drawn to those videos um, professionally or, or otherwise. How did you balance that? I think that I was so numb knowing that this was already getting traction and exposure in a negative way, I was already so numb to the consequences that were happening to me. It was almost like, okay, I know I'm going to be thrown under the bus here, but I have to take a stand against this injustice on a wider scale. So I was able to somehow shut off the idea, okay, people are Googling this right now, and go to, I don't want other individuals, especially women, to go through what I'm going through right now. So even if the consequence is that more people are going to be drawn to the videos of me, speaking out about this is going to raise a wider alarm about how this is wrong. If you saw in your research about me, like I, I haven't done a lot of press. I, I don't do a lot of stuff like this as much anymore. And it's not because I don't care. Um, I sacrificed myself so much that I didn't even realize I was really losing myself and hurting myself in such a severe way by agreeing to every single interview, showing up to all the press, going to speak at every school, lobbying in multiple states, you know, to try to get laws passed, that that was having such a bad effect on my mental health. And so I took a step back for probably, I've kind of taken a big step back 
over the last, since our victory, maybe last couple years. And I do things more sparingly, but I've really focused on my mental health. And like now I've been sober for almost six months, finally, after all of this. And so to just not feel numb anymore, it really allowed my PTSD to heal. And so for things like this, you know, on the once an occasion, I will do, uh, I'll speak about it, you know, but now there are other people in the fight. And so there doesn't need to be like a poster person to represent it. But at the same time, I'm like, if I'm not taking care of myself, I'm not even going to be here to continue to be an advocate. So I kind of took care of that and am in a much better headspace. It was almost like I knew that doing all the press, speaking up about it was for the greater good. But I also knew in those micro moments that it was hurting me to do that. And I think it was this cycle for a while of like, I I felt so worthless that was almost like speaking up was going to reaffirm that worthlessness because it's going to bring more people to watch. But it's also going to help the cause, if that makes sense. So it was like a good and a bad. Does that make sense? How did you how did you go from because you mentioned the victory and we haven't talked about the victory, but there's this moment where you're trying to pursue criminal case against the ex-boyfriend and you mentioned that the police and anybody who watches the Guardian video can see that you went through this ordeal with the police where you came out and there was not going to be a prosecution and I suspect that the Crown Prosecution Service here in the United Kingdom would not and could not because of laws or whatever prosecute the individual but you didn't let it lie there and this this has to be a very brave thing to do because you then with your lawyers and your legal team and Bria went on to take the case through the civil courts. Am I right? Tell me about that. Yeah. So um, I'm nothing if not tenacious, but uh, we heard that we couldn't pursue the criminal charges, obviously a devastating blow. And I think from that day on the rooftop in New York, when Anne said, I can see myself in you, you know, Anne as a young law student, Sue and Yale, not giving up, not going down without a fight. I think she saw that same quality in me, even when I didn't see it in myself. When we had that door shut on us, we'd already had so many doors shut on us throughout this, even before we found McAllister Oliverius. And so it was a small detail, you know, obviously a huge hurdle to work through, but a no surprise and certainly no injury to our determination to win the case, either in the court of public opinion or a court of law. And so um, we said, you know, no, we want to keep fighting. And and said, you know, the only remedy is going to be a civil case. We said, okay, let's go back to the drawing board. And that was another, huh, that was another almost three years before we won that finally. And that was here in the United Kingdom. Yes. And what did you win, Chrissy? What what was the victory? I won, well, the first civil lawsuit against revenge porn, the United Kingdom. But I won uh, some damages from my ex. More importantly, I got an apology from him. I remember them in the litigation, you know, it being really difficult to get the apology. And I was like, the apology is as important for me as the damages I need him to acknowledge that what he did was wrong 
for me, that represented the fact that, you know, society and culture as a whole doesn't see this as wrong and it can ruin somebody's life. So, um, got the apology, got the copyright to the videos. So if they were ever uploaded, I can, you know, pursue those as my own to have them removed. And, you know, in that victory also was able to get back some of my dignity just to be able to say, you know, this was wrong. I didn't give up even when the police, even when the law wasn't agreeing with me that there was justice to be had. I didn't stop until there was some form of justice. You skirt and over, now, I, I was going to say you skirt over the most, I mean, all of that is profound. And, you, you know, you're such a brave woman to have done what you've done and what you've laid in terms of those who come behind you or were unable to do it previously. And that's to be admired, not only your determination, your resilience, but it was a landmark case, wasn't it? And and uh, up until I think it was 2010, 11, something, there was no law. There was no law that said private content, private information, private videos couldn't be uploaded by anybody on any social media platform. But your case, am I right in thinking that what you were able to achieve was to change that, that the law says that any private information, including videos like what were uploaded about you, it's illegal to do that stuff now. Or was your case isolated to your own experience? No, I think that the case had wider ramifications, you know, for what it represented that even if the law specifically for revenge porn is not opening a door to a victim for justice, that the Sharing of Private Information Act could be used to protect victims on the civil side. That there are other, like, the data and information sharing statute that you could use that and private communications. Just, I think that there were workarounds for, even if there wasn't a law in place, either civilly or criminally that said you cannot post explicit, sexually explicit images or videos that there were ways around that. I think that's what the case achieved. And certainly I feel like we've, we've had countless victims and, and some viewers reach out to us since to say, you know, I've been a longtime fan and my ex, my rapist, was going to get out of prison for what he had done to me. And then your the law passed, this was would be in 2015, and he was like sentenced to six months or another year further. And I can't remember how many people, I feel like it's a couple thousand, but have gone to prison, even if it's not a long sentence, but have have been held accountable and punished since that revenge porn law was passed. And um, that really does make it all worthwhile for me to know that you can stand up and you can fight and you can make change. And it makes me sad to think of all the other people in history who've had wrongs done to them and were not able, you know, we, we were able to do a crowdfunding campaign to raise money for our case. And now, of course, there's like legal aid, victim aid funds, and a lot of lawyers that do this work, much like Anne did, you know, on a contingency basis. But now there's laws in place where you don't have to just raise the money civilly, like you could go and get justice with with law enforcement. And I don't know, I I feel like every time I hear from a victim who says, you know, I wanted to kill myself because of this, and I'm inspired by your story, or 
you know, it makes me want to keep fighting. All of that stuff makes me feel like going through it publicly, knowing people would keep looking it up. All of that makes it really worth it. And, and that's really good to hear. The the victory at the civil court often, you know, marks the end of, of one's experience um, or one's journey in trying to pursue justice. Um, and although you mentioned that, you know, you get messages from people who are inspired by your story, you've talked a bit about, you know, the, the pressure it's put on you and your mental health. Have you been able to move on now, Chrissy? Have you been able to? You can never put it behind you because no doubt it shaped who you are today, made you the woman that you are and will always be a part of who you are because you have this story to tell. And I appreciate, I really do appreciate you coming onto my podcast having sort of resisted a lot of media over the years. And I can totally understand that. But have you been able to move on? Are you at a place now where I know you and Bria are doing your thing and you sound happily married and she's your hero and you're still very, and your big smile says it all. But have you been able to move on, Chrissy? Yeah. Um, it's so, so interesting how me being a pretty hyper-modest uh, which, you know, you you still, even if you were sending sexy selfies all day, like you don't deserve, no one deserves to have things non-consensually posted. But taking me, this like very small town Mississippi girl, having this experience happen to me has really radically changed how I subsequently feel about showing intimacy, sharing intimacy my perception of my body. And I've, I've heard that oftentimes victims of sexual violence will end up reclaiming their power by being, sometimes go through hypersexual phases in their healing process. And that can sometimes be PTSD in an unhealthy way. But I'm talking about when people reclaim their power with the, the thing that was weaponized against them. I remember saying back in like 2015, I wonder if the way that I'm going to heal is by, instead of being more prudish, modest, and almost like covering up in shame, is going to be embracing uh, this thing that had hurt me so much. And gosh, I think in 2018, Bri and I started our OnlyFans. And... I have just slowly reclaimed my power, my empowerment to be in a place where now I could have my body videoed or photographed and have it be something I consented to, something that makes me feel that makes me feel strong, you know, that makes me feel beautiful that I got to choose to share has been such a beautiful, strange, twisted journey. Um, and maybe a bit extreme because of what I went through, but has been just the greatest gift of my life. And I would say that I am the happiest I have ever been. And I can't believe that the work I do now is is like making beautiful content and videos that just seven, eight years ago, I might have been devastated to have end up on the internet, but now makes me feel so incredible. Uh, and free. And that's great to hear that you you, you are back in control of, of your destiny. Do you still have this dream of becoming an actor? Because in your own right, you are. 
you know, by doing what you do on your YouTube channel, you can act out whatever it is you act out with Bria and let go of, of those restraints that, that kind of, I don't know, encased you during the time when you were fighting against what, what others had done to you or one individual had done to you. So do you still have these dreams of, of being the actor or are you content now with where you're at? I would say I'm very content with where I'm at, but of course you don't give up on that, the dreams that you have, you know, our YouTube channel, I was able to act some and sing and Bria was able to sing some and act, but Bria's dream is still to be a rock star, you know? So even with getting closer to achieving that dream certainly provides a lot of satisfaction. Bria and I are just performers at heart, but because it has been such a lifelong dream, this acting thing, um, and because of the success of our OnlyFans, uh, we were able to self-finance a show last year that we created all last year where I star as um, a woman named Mackenzie, uh, who is questioning her sexuality and trying to figure out who she is and her gender and um it just follows her with her journey of PTSD in therapy uh, to figuring out who she is. It's kind of a little bit autobiographical, I guess you could say. And it was going to be a 10 part series, but right now I think we're going to edit it down into a movie. And and now that will be our next offering to the LGBT and beyond community is um, this piece. Because when I found out about the videos, I was selling shots at a strip club, which used to be a source of shame for me. But at the club, I went by this name, Mackenzie Collins, and she was tough and like, take no nonsense. Um, and then the videos happened. And it was like, I lost her. And in I think November, 2020, I just thought, I wish I could bring Mackenzie Collins to life. And uh, Bria being the amazing person she is within two weeks had a lesbian writer and within two months, we had this show, and then we filmed it for the last year. So I, I still am getting to act, even if I'm not making it in the the big theater. You know, it's like I'm I'm getting to tell my own stories. I don't need to um, have all the casting directors say, "Oh, you're good enough to be in this." I'll just make it myself. Well, there's plenty of time, isn't there? And what will that be called? What will that? And when will it be released? If you get that far, which I'm sure you will. Yes. Uh, well, it's called Can You Feel This? And we are hoping to release it later this year. Of course, you know, production, editing and self-financing a project. There's a lot of hurdles, but we're extremely proud of it, extremely excited about it. Well, good luck and I hope it goes well. Is there anything, Chrissy, that we've not talked about that you want to mention for the listeners, in particular those who may themselves be looking for an opportunity to, 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 to fight something they can't see themselves winning or any other message that you want to leave with the audience. I mean, your message throughout this interview has been profound and, and very articulated. I'm, I'm so impressed and I'm impressed because you don't know when, when you, when you see the word porn and you see the word revenge. And I think your, your explanation of how easy it is to misconstrue those two words when it means something completely different, yet that is the catchphrase, that is the buzzword. I think you, you've done the same with lots of other elements and issues to do with your own private personal case. And I'm sorry you had to go through what you went through, but I'm glad that 
it happened to someone like you in the nicest sense because you are a powerful individual who didn't sort of roll over and just allow it to happen, that you stood up not just for yourself but for others and you've gone on to smile the way that you smile and continue to do the things that you do. So is there one last message, Chrissy, that you want to share or not? I I mean, yeah, I would say, well, I want to say two things. I would say I'm glad that what happened to me happened to someone like me, but anybody could be someone like you or I. Think about what you went through. So many people who've been wrongfully convicted or or maligned may want to go live under a shadow to escape any of that pain. And yet you have taken it upon yourself to help create a huge platform and do all kinds of advocacy. Even I, I love world's toughest prisons going back into the place, you know, that caused you so much pain. So many people would never want to do that, but because of you being who you are, You've been able to take this most painful thing into making the world a better place, educating others, speaking out against injustice. And I I think that you would probably agree. Sure, not everybody can do that, but anybody is capable of it. It's just if you choose to let this thing that has caused you so much pain become the thing that gives you your greatest strength. I think anyone is capable of that. It's just if they need the outside support to believe that or they need to think outside of themselves, you know, it's like I wasn't fighting to save myself because I didn't really care about myself during my darkest times, but I cared a lot about other people and other people not going through what I had been through. And that gave me the strength when I needed it to, to keep fighting and rising above. So I'm sure you can relate to that as well. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. It is incredible that you don't really discover who you are until you discover who you are, because we're always in search of something about ourselves or looking outside of ourselves to find something when it's always rested inside us. And it takes some, you know, not just dark things, it could be the complete opposite, but it takes something to happen for you to realise who you really are. And it happened to both of us when we were very young, which means, you know, I've moved on. I'm much older than you. But when it happens to you when you're young, I think you live a much more fulfilling life because you've already served a purpose in your own life. So, you know, moving forward that your purpose is for yourself. Of course, you've got to be selfish to an extent to get over the the PSTD, you know, the stress and the, the psychological and emotional challenges that 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 created at the time. But if you use that for a positive, you can make a great difference. Chrissy, thank you so much for coming onto my podcast. You're an incredible woman. Your story is incredible. And I, I urge people to sort of look at your content because I think you can't put the two together when you talk about miscarriages of justice or you talk about, you know, these kinds of issues. People can't quite put the people that are involved in these things together. And I urge people to have a look at your content because I think they will be pleasantly surprised. So thank you so much, Chrissy, for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. You too. Bye.
Taking the stand she did to challenge the actions of an ex-boyfriend, winning and changing the landscape for those who find themselves in a similar situation is a truly admirable thing. Chrissy was not given a chance to prevent her being sexually exploited, but may well avoid others suffering such a fate. What is really empowering is how Chrissy turned a bad and unfair situation into one that she now controls the narrative around. Having the videos removed was a victory. I want to take this moment to thank you, the listener, for sharing your comments about this podcast. Keep those comments coming. Here's one from the Apple Podcast Rate and Review Comments, and it's from a woman called Lucy. Quote, I followed Raphael after the Netflix prison series. My partner is currently incarcerated and I find his podcast inspiring and hopeful. The stories are inspiring and I appreciate the understanding he has. Prison life, if you are inside or out, is a journey that many don't endure. It's a difficult time, but listening to his admiration makes it somewhat easier. Unquote. This is not just all about prisons, but I do appreciate your comments, Lucy, because it is a reflection on lots of people's journeys. So thanks for taking the time to leave a comment on the podcast. I appreciate that you find these interviews inspirational and insightful. And so I want to hear from more of you. If you want me to read your comment on this podcast, please leave a review comment on the podcast or send me a direct message via Twitter or Instagram at Raphael Rowe. Now, please share this episode with your friends, family and colleagues. And if you want to follow the show for updates about new episodes, just click on subscribe. You can also be a part of this podcast by rating and reviewing what you've heard and tell us what you think. More importantly, tell others what you think by leaving some comments. This is an independent podcast, meaning we are doing this out of passion, not pay. And you would have heard me say that on nearly every episode. But we do need your support to pay for the production. So please, if you want to make a small donation, click on the support link in the description at the end. If you want to connect, drop the show a direct message via Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or any other means you have to make contact. Audio editing is by Audio Avalanche. The original music is by J-Row Productions. The cover design work is by Studio Minerva. Our guest booker is Sophie Warner. This episode was produced by the Second Chance Podcast and me, your host, Raphael Rowe. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.